This is the Bible in one year, day 175. Pass on the baton. When I left university at the age of 21, I moved to London and was looking for a church to join. I visited HTB and heard Sandy Miller speak. Afterwards, I asked if I could meet with him. Soon after, I joined the church and began to learn from this extraordinary leader, friend and role model. After several years as a member of the congregation, I went on to train for ordination in the Church of England, and ten years after our first meeting, I returned to HTB as Sandy Miller's assistant minister. I continued in that role for 19 years until 2005, when he passed on the baton to me, and I succeeded him as vicar of HTB. To this day, Sandy continues to be my role model, friend, and inspiration. There have always been people in my life from whom I'm learning and others to whom I'm trying to pass it on. Like runners in a relay race, we all have a responsibility to pass on the baton. Psalm 78 My people hear my teaching. Listen to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth with a parable. I will utter hidden things, things from of old things we have heard and known, things our ancestors have taught us. We will not hide them from their descendants. We will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, his power and the wonders he has done. He decreed statutes for Jacob and established the law in Israel, which he commanded our ancestors to teach their children, so the next generation would know them, even the children yet to be born, and they in turn would tell their children. Then they would put their trust in God, and would not forget his deeds, but would keep his commands. They would not be like their ancestors, a stubborn and rebellious generation, whose hearts were not loyal to God, whose spirits were not faithful to him. Tell. You have a story to tell. Every family has story. Every church has its own stories of what God has done. Every Christian has a story, a testimony. All of us have access to the great story of what God has done in Christ. We have to tell the stories. This psalm gives a sketch of Hebrew history leading up to King David and stresses the importance of passing it on to the next generation. We see a contrast between the sins of Israel and the goodness of God. Jesus himself quotes this psalm. The psalmist says, We will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, his power and the wonders he's done, to teach their children so that the next generation would know them and they in turn would tell their children. Then they would put their trust in God. Juan Carlos Ortiz tells the story of meeting an old lady in his native Argentina who introduced him to a young girl who was one of her great-grandchildren. She went on to tell that she had six children and 36 grandchildren. Her family was impressive in number, and among her grandchildren were many well-educated and professional people. Carlos asked her, How did you manage to produce such a large, well-fed, well-dressed, well-educated, extended family? She replied, I didn't. I just took care of the six, and each of them took care of their six. Each generation has a responsibility to tell the next one about the goodness of God and to warn them of the mess that we make of our lives when we turn away from God's goodness. Lord, thank you for those who told us about the Lord, his power, and the wonders he has done. Help us to pass it on to the next generation, 
so that they would put their trust in you. New Testament, Acts 16. Paul came to Derby and then to Lystra, where a disciple named Timothy lived, whose mother was Jewish and a believer, but whose father was a Greek. The believers at Lystra and Iconium spoke well of him. Paul wanted to take him along on the journey, so he circumcised him because of the Jews who lived in that area, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they travelled from town to town, they delivered the decisions reached by the apostles and elders in Jerusalem for the people to obey. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and grew daily in numbers. Paul and his companions travelled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. When they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. So they passed by Mysia and went down to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, Come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. From Troas we put out to sea and sailed straight for Samothrace, and the next day we went on to Neapolis. From there we travelled to Philippi, a Roman colony and the leading city of that district of Macedonia, and we stayed there several days. On the Sabbath we went outside the city gate to the river, where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman from the city of Theatira, named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshipper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. Train. Paul recognized he had a responsibility to train up others. He found Timothy a fine young man. Timothy was discipled, trained and taught by Paul. Paul was a mentor to Timothy. They're a great example of what we all should be doing. Find a Paul from whom you can learn and find a Timothy to whom you can pass it on. As with so many, I would say that every major strategic step or decision I have made has been inspired and encouraged, not from a pulpit in a crowd of a thousand people, but rather by someone within arm's reach. There's no doubt that preaching can make a big impact, but we often overestimate the amount of truth that is assimilated between the pulpit and the pew. In my life, truth shared in proximity has been a key to my own personal growth. This seems to have been the key for Timothy. It was through Paul that Timothy had become a Christian, and they became very close friends. Paul was older than Timothy, and he described their friendship as being like that of a father and son. Paul described Timothy as my son, whom I love. They went through a great deal together. They traveled from town to town. They even spent time in prison together. During all this, Timothy would have been watching Paul and being trained up as his successor. It's not enough to hope that the Timothys are watching us. 
we must strategically position younger disciples to have significant opportunities to lead. Paul bestowed on Timothy real responsibility. He could trust him because he knew him so well. Paul involved Timothy in the work right from the start. They took decisions together. Through their ministry together, day after day, the congregations became stronger in faith and larger in size. Timothy learned about the guidance of the Holy Spirit. When they tried to enter Bithynia, the Holy Spirit blocked that route. So they went to Mysia and tried to go north to Bithynia. But the Spirit of Jesus wouldn't let them go there either. This is an important lesson in life. I can think of at least five occasions in my life where I felt that I should go in a particular direction, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow the plan to succeed. As I look back now, I'm so thankful the Spirit stopped plans, which in hindsight were clearly not the right ones. God then led Timothy and Paul in a new direction. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. Not surprisingly, Paul took this as clear guidance that they were to go to Macedonia. All the pieces had come together. We knew now for sure that God had called us to preach the good news to the Europeans. In Philippi, Timothy would have watched Paul on the first Saturday that he was there, going down to the river where there was a group of women praying. As Paul spoke about Jesus, Lydia, a rich merchant woman, was converted. She invited Paul and those with him to come and stay in her home. It must have been an extraordinary and wonderful experience for them both to see how the Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. The final letter attributed to Paul is to Timothy. To the very end of his life, Paul's priority was encouraging and releasing the next generation. Let's make it ours too. Lord, help every Paul to find Timothys who they can train up. Help every Timothy to find a mentor like Paul who will pass on all their experience to them. Old Testament, 1 Kings 12-14 Then Jeroboam fortified Shechem in the hill country of Ephraim and lived there. From there he went out and built up Peniel. Jeroboam thought to himself, The kingdom is now likely to revert to the house of David. If these people go up to offer sacrifices at the temple of the Lord in Jerusalem, they will again give their allegiance to their lord, Rehoboam, king of Judah. They will kill me and return to King Rehoboam. After seeking advice, the king made two golden calves. He said to the people, It is too much for you to go up to Jerusalem. Here are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. One he set up in Bethel, and the other in Dan. And this thing became a sin. The people came to worship the one at Bethel and went as far as Dan to worship the other. Jeroboam built shrines on high places and appointed priests from all sorts of people, even though they were not Levites. He instituted a festival on the fifteenth day of the eighth month, like the festival held in Judah, and offered sacrifices on the altar. This he did in Bethel, sacrificing to the calves he had made. And at Bethel, he also installed priests at the high places he had made. On the fifteenth day of the eighth month, a month of his own choosing, he offered sacrifices on the altar he had built at Bethel. So he instituted the festival for the Israelites and went up to the altar to make offerings. 1 Kings chapter 13 By the word of the Lord, 
a man of God came from Judah to Bethel, as Jeroboam was standing by the altar to make an offering. By the word of the Lord he cried out against the altar, Altar! Altar! This is what the Lord says. A son named Josiah will be born to the house of David. On you he will sacrifice the priests of the high places who make offerings here, and human bones will be burned on you. That same day, the man of God gave a sign. This is the sign the Lord has declared. The altar will be split apart, and the ashes on it will be poured out. When King Jeroboam heard what the man of God cried out against the altar of Bethel, he stretched out his hand from the altar and said, Seize him! But the hand he stretched out towards the man shriveled up, so that he could not pull it back. Also, the altar was split apart, and its ashes poured out according to the sign given by the man of God by the word of the Lord. Then the king said to the man of God, Intercede with the Lord your God, and pray for me that my hand may be restored. So the man of God interceded with the Lord, and the king's hand was restored and became as it was before. The king said to the man of God, Come home with me for a meal, and I will give you a gift. But the man of God answered the king, Even if you were to give me half your possessions, I would not go with you, nor would I eat bread or drink water here. For I was commanded by the word of the Lord, You must not eat bread or drink water or return by the way you came. So he took another road and did not return by the way he had come to Bethel. Now there was a certain old prophet living in Bethel, whose sons came and told him all that the man of God had done there that day. They also told their father what he had said to the king. Their father asked them, Which way did he go? And his sons showed him which road the man of God from Judah had taken. So he said to his sons, Saddle the donkey for me. And when they had saddled the donkey for him, he mounted it and rode after the man of God. He found him sitting under an oak tree and asked, Are you the man of God who came from Judah? I am, he replied. So the prophet said to him, Come home with me and eat. The man of God said, I cannot turn back and go with you, nor can I eat bread or drink water with you in this place. I have been told by the word of the Lord, you must not eat bread or drink water there, or return by the way you came. The old prophet answered, I too am a prophet as you are. And an angel said to me by the word of the Lord, Bring him back with you to your house, so that he may eat bread and drink water. But he was lying to him. So the man of God returned with him and ate and drank in his house. While they were sitting at the table, the word of the Lord came to the old prophet who had brought him back. He cried out to the man of God who had come from Judah, This is what the Lord says. You have defied the word of the Lord and have not kept the command the Lord your God gave you. You came back and ate bread and drank water in the place where he told you not to eat or drink. Therefore your body will not be buried in the tomb of your ancestors. When the man of God had finished eating and drinking, the prophet who had brought him back saddled his donkey for him. As he went on his way, a lion met him on the road and killed him, and his body was left lying on the road with both the donkey and the lion standing beside it. Some people who passed by saw the body lying there, with the lion standing beside the body 
and they went and reported it in the city where the old prophet lived. When the prophet who had brought him back from his journey heard of it, he said, It is the man of God who defied the word of the Lord. The Lord has given him over to the lion which has mauled him and killed him, as the word of the Lord had warned him. The prophet said to his sons, Saddle the donkey for me. And they did so. Then he went out and found the body lying on the road, with the donkey and the lion standing beside it. The lion had neither eaten the body nor mauled the donkey. So the prophet picked up the body of the man of God, laid it on the donkey, and brought it back to his own city to mourn for him and bury him. Then he laid the body in his own tomb, and they mourned over him and said, Alas, my brother! After burying him, he said to his sons, When I die, bury me in the grave where the man of God is buried. Lay my bones beside his bones. For the message he declared by the word of the Lord against the altar in Bethel, and against all the shrines on the high places in the towns of Samaria, will certainly come true. Even after this, Jeroboam did not change his evil ways, but once more appointed priests for the high places from all sorts of people. Anyone who wanted to become a priest, he consecrated for the high places. This was the sin of the house of Jeroboam that led to its downfall and to its destruction from the face of the earth. 1 Kings chapter 14 At that time, Abijah, son of Jeroboam, became ill. And Jeroboam said to his wife, Go, disguise yourself, so that you won't be recognized as the wife of Jeroboam. Then go to Shiloh. Ahijah, the prophet, is there, the one who told me I would be king over this people. Take ten loaves of bread with you, some cakes and a jar of honey, and go to him. He will tell you what will happen to the boy. So Jeroboam's wife did what he said and went to Ahijah's house in Shiloh. Now Ahijah could not see. His sight was gone because of his age. But the Lord had told Ahijah, Jeroboam's wife is coming to ask you about her son, for he is ill, and you are to give her such and such an answer. When she arrives, she will pretend to be someone else. So when Ahijah heard the sound of her footsteps at the door, he said, Come in, wife of Jeroboam, why this pretense? I have been sent to you with bad news. Go, tell Jeroboam, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I raised you up from among the people and appointed you ruler over my people Israel. I tore the kingdom away from the house of David and gave it to you. But you have not been like my servant David, who kept my commands and followed me with all his heart, doing only what was right in my eyes. You have done more evil than all who lived before you. You have made for yourself other gods, idols made of metal. You have aroused my anger and turned your back on me. Because of this, I am going to bring disaster on the house of Jeroboam. I will cut off from Jeroboam every last male in Israel, slave or free. I will burn up the house of Jeroboam as one burns dung, until it is all gone. Dogs will eat those belonging to Jeroboam who die in the city, and the birds will feed on those who die in the country. The Lord has spoken. As for you, go back home. When you set foot in your city, the boy will die. All Israel will mourn for him and bury him. He is the only one belonging to Jeroboam who will be buried. 
because he is the only one in the house of Jeroboam in whom the Lord, the God of Israel, has found anything good. The Lord will raise up for himself a king over Israel who will cut off the family of Jeroboam. Even now this is beginning to happen. And the Lord will strike Israel so that it will be like a reed swaying in the water. He will uproot Israel from this good land that he gave to their ancestors and scatter them beyond the river Euphrates because they aroused the Lord's anger by making Asherah poles. And he will give Israel up because of the sins Jeroboam has committed and has caused Israel to commit. Then Jeroboam's wife got up and left and went to Tirzah. As soon as she stepped over the threshold of the house, the boy died. They buried him, and all Israel mourned for him, as the Lord had said through his servant the prophet Ahijah. The other events of Jeroboam's reign, his wars and how he ruled, are written in the book of the annals of the kings of Israel. He reigned for twenty-two years and then rested with his ancestors, and Nadab, his son, succeeded him as king. Teach. Unless we learn the lessons of history and teach the next generation, they'll repeat the mistakes of the past. The book of Kings records the history of the people of God so that the following generations may learn from them. Sadly, the lessons we can learn from this passage are mainly negative. The account of Jeroboam is a terrifying one. He passed on a terrible legacy to the next generation. After seeking advice, the king made two golden calves. It's not enough to seek advice if we consult the wrong people. These chapters contain the account of the sin of the house of Jeroboam that led to its downfall and to its destruction from the face of the earth. Jeroboam's key sin was that he made up a form of religion and worship to suit himself. He encouraged idol worship rather than the worship of God. Jeroboam's religion is a made-up religion created to suit his own desires and needs. We may not worship golden calves, but the same danger is just as evident today. As Pope Francis has said, the most dangerous idol is our own selves, when we want to occupy the place of God. This was Jeroboam's sin, and it affected the next generation. His son Abijah became ill and died. He ignored the good example of the earlier generation of David, who'd lived with an undivided heart, pleasing God. Instead, he had set a new record in works of evil. Jeroboam may have had military, commercial, and political achievements, and yet it seems these successes are fairly irrelevant. As Jesus said, what good is it for you to gain the whole world, yet forfeit your soul? What matters most is a close relationship with the living God. Lord, I pray that you will raise up leaders in industry, politics, creative arts, media, and every sector of society who will honor you and pass on your message and your standards to the next generation. Pippa adds, Psalm 78 verse 4 says, We will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, his power and the wonders he has done, so that the next generation would know them, even the children yet to be born. It is a challenge to pass on our faith to the next generation. I am so grateful to the children and youth workers that we have had here at our church at HTB. They have poured out their love on our children and the children of hundreds of others. Every year at Focused, our church holiday away, we've seen our children's lives and many others transformed during that week. 
I'm so excited by what God is doing with the next generation and the potential for the children yet to be born is vast. Keep praying for them all.